Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I wanted to talk this morning about something that really was, it was on my heart uh, pretty much all week, uh, just because of really some things that were said last week that weren't really part of my notes. Uh, I know Tom probably can relate to this and anyone else who's ever shared uh, that sometimes, you know, you'll you'll share something and it won't be in your notes. It'll just be kind of a side note thing. But I shared about this idea of uh, forgiveness and reconciliation. And immediately I had a, a couple people come up to me and even through the week just talking about this idea of, of forgiveness and that it spoke to them because, you know, we, we can all struggle sometimes releasing things and letting things go, right? And so, you know, it just kept stirring in my spirit this week. And I thought, you know what, it's been a while since we really broke down this idea of not just forgiveness, but this idea of bitterness. You know, bitterness, when that sets into your heart, that's not a good thing. That can really uh, take you down some bad roads, you know, whether it's physically or it's your thought life, it's your, your speech, you know, what you speak. And so it's important that, that we understand this. And so, again, it wasn't even in my notes, but, but I think it's really important that we look at this. So today I want to talk about the idea of releasing bitterness. Releasing bitterness is so essential in our life. I want to turn to Luke chapter 17. We'll start there this morning. And what Jesus says here is pretty powerful. He's talking to his disciples in verse 1. And he says this. He said, it is impossible, say impossible, that no offenses should come. <laughs> That's a pretty powerful statement. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, it's inevitable. It's impossible. This is something that's going to happen. You are going to have offense come to you in your life. There's going to be some time, some point in your life, probably more than once, where you're going to have the opportunity to be offended where an offense will come your way. He says, but woe to him through whom they come. So again, it's impossible that no offenses should come. Now, this word offense in the Greek is pretty interesting. It's the word scandalon. Say scandalon. Look at the meaning. It's the movable stick or trigger of a trap. So have you ever thought about it like this? It can kind of change things around. You ever thought about when someone offends you or brings an offense your way that they're literally setting a trap for you? They're setting a trap that, that could ensnare you, could uh, bring your life down in a certain way, shape, or fashion. It's also, the meaning is this, an impediment placed in the way and causing one to stumble and to fall. Isn't that wild? So usually when an offense comes my way, if I become offended, I usually put it more off on that person, what they did to me, not even realizing that it's a trap that's been set, whether intentional or unintentional, to draw me in, to trap me into this place in my life, into this, this, this place where I operate differently because I think differently and I speak differently and I act differently. Does that make sense? Because there always will be an opportunity to take on an offense. But here's the thing. In those offensive moments, we get to decide whether we react or we respond. Something that I've learned about myself, and this is a good, a good litmus test for me, is when something like an offense comes my way, do I react or do I respond? See, reactions are that knee-jerk thing that we do out of our false self. It's usually 
the idea of getting back at someone or making them hurt as well, but responses are what come out of our true self. See, if you look at the life of Jesus, he didn't react to situations, he responded to situations. It makes a big difference. So I think it's something important that we understand today about this idea of bitterness. Before we get into that, though, I was thinking about in 1983. Was anyone around in 1983? A few of us? In 1983, I remember I was standing in line with excitement and anticipation for a new movie that was just coming out, and I was so pumped. It was Star Wars Return of the Jedi. Man, did anyone stay in line for that? Some religious people are like, no, I, I couldn't do that. That was demonic force and stuff. Well, my parents let me go to the movie, so it was, it was nice. But, I, you know, I really enjoyed Star Wars stuff as I was younger. And even now, and I know they have this debate on whether or not it's good anymore because Disney took it over. I will say the new Andor is pretty good. Anyone seen any of that? It's really good. But amen? All right. I'm getting one amen from Bruce today about Star Wars, so that means something. But I remember I was standing in line because this, this was such an exciting time. I was so into Star Wars. Well, later that year, my mom actually came home with the coolest lunchbox ever. It was Star Wars Return of the Jedi. And I was so pumped about this lunchbox. Now, I remember it wasn't the old style, you know, the made out of the metal or tin, and it's kind of stamped with, with the pictures and stuff on it. I had a Happy Days one at one point with the Fonz A on the front of it. I thought that was pretty cool. But it was one of those plastic molded ones. Remember when those came out? I know, I know. Plastic now, we're like, what did we do to ourselves? I understand. But at the time, it was so cool to have this plastic molded with the matching thermos to boot. It was absolutely awesome, right? So cool. And so I remember getting this, and I was going into middle school, sixth grade, and I'm thinking, man, this is amazing. I will be the talk of the lunchroom. And I was. But now how I thought. It was more like, hey, dude cool lunchbox, which just so you know, it wasn't a compliment. It was sarcasm. And I looked around and I realized not one kid in this entire lunchroom had a lunchbox. Needless to say, I never took the lunchbox to school again. Thanks, mom. I appreciate it. But apparently I didn't know that it wasn't cool anymore to take a molded plastic Star Wars Return of the Jedi lunchbox. But another thing that my mom would do is I would have this thermos, and she would fill that thermos up with milk. That's just what we did. The Branson household, we probably went through a gallon every two days. It was just something we loved to drink. And so she would always put milk in my thermos. Now, how many know that when you go to drink milk, you're expecting what? Milk. Well, one day, unbeknownst to me, my mom put orange juice in the thermos, and I didn't know. So when I took my first drink... And that OJ hit my tongue, the first thing I thought was, whoa, this milk is sour, it's bad. It had this bitter taste to me, right? But then I realized seconds in, okay, okay, you know what, this isn't milk, this is orange juice, it's not rancid milk, and so I was okay with that. But there's something about this, these taste bud receptors that we have. Sometimes we taste things bitter, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's, it's helping us if there's something that's bad. We know it's bad. We can spit it out. We can not continue to eat it. You know, there's some animals that can just eat about anything that would make us sick. And so we have these taste receptors that help us in that. But, but don't you hate the bitter taste of something in your mouth? It's just, I, I don't like that taste. It's because bitterness doesn't settle well within us. There's something about it that brings this nausea, right? Like, it's just like, oh, this isn't right. But I began thinking about this idea that even with emotional bitterness, 
it has that same nauseous effect. I've literally had people that have hurt me so badly, have literally done me wrong, and just the sight of them or hearing their name would make me nauseous. It would bring up those feelings. Anyone ever been there? Someone offends you so bad that just the thought of it, it makes you nauseous. It makes you sick to your stomach. It's bitter to the mental taste buds, if you will. And so today I want to talk about the importance of forgiving. And, and, and not just forgiving, right? Because if we don't forgive, it leads to bitterness. And so let's talk about this idea of releasing bitterness because it's essential. You know, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12, 14, this is a powerful statement, pursue peace with all people. Pursue peace with how many people? All people. There's something about the New Testament that's very inclusive. There's this all, all, all. And my, my dad would always break this down. He goes, it's a deep meaning in the Greek. All means all. Pursue peace with all people. That alone, that statement's very tough. Because I don't know about you, but there's been plenty of times in my life where there's certain people I just don't want to pursue peace with them. No, in fact, there's been times in my life I'm like, I hope I meet them somewhere in a parking lot so we can just get this thing over with. I'm just being honest. But the writer says, pursue peace with all people. Look at this. True friendship can only be enjoyed in an environment of total forgiveness and innocence. Did you hear that? An environment, an atmosphere, a place where there's total forgiveness and innocence. Look at this. This makes God visible in your life. Now, it doesn't mean that God's gone anywhere. But how many know that we are supposed to be a reflection of who God is because we're made in his image and likeness, right? But many times, if we're not pursuing peace, if we're not in this environment of total forgiveness and innocence, we're not reflecting or making God visible to the world through our life. Now, what's interesting is this word pursue here, it means to follow aggressively. That's the Greek meaning. It isn't just like, yeah, you know, if I get around to it. No, it's to follow aggressively. It means that we have to be intentional in pursuing peace with all people. In other words, Obtaining and maintaining peace is a continuous effort. It never stops. It's something that we continue to do and do and do. And then the writer says to pursue peace and forgiveness. I want to make a statement. It's pretty bold. But think about this. Everybody has a reason to hold offense. If someone offends you, I would say you have a reason to be offended, right? But listen, we don't have an excuse to hold offense. I know that's a bold statement, but but I'm looking at what the scripture says. I'm looking at the life of Jesus. I mean, Jesus was nailed to a cross as an innocent man and still offered forgiveness without being asked. So even though we have the, I'd almost say the right, I have the right to be offended. I have the right to hold this offense. We really don't have an excuse because guess what? Jesus, the greater one, lives on the inside of us. It's the very power. In him we live, move, and have our being. So we have the, the, the power, we have the authority, if you will, to offer forgiveness. And I was even saying this, I believe, last week, that forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision. 
And too many times in my own life, I'll use my life as an example, I would think, well, I can't forgive that person yet. Why? Because I don't feel it. Honest, right? But we don't have to feel like forgiving in order to extend forgiveness. I love this in the New American Standard Bible. It says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. You hear that? That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. It's interesting how bitterness isn't just about what it does to us. It's about what it does to others. I've said this before, but have you ever known someone or ran into someone and you could just literally feel the bitterness in their heart? They've let it fester to the point where what they say, what they think, what they do, it manifests through this bitterness. It's not really fun to be around people like that, is it? And it leads to so many complications in life. So the one thing in particular that I see in this scripture is that bitterness starts with a small root, say a small root. Now, it specifically says this, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. It's really cool in the original language here, springing up, it actually refers to a little bitty tender plant just beginning to pierce its way up through the soil. I think about... In our neighborhood, you probably have this too, somewhere in June-ish, July, depending on how the weather is. Does anyone have those cottonwood trees around? And they're just like, it's like snowing in June. They're just everywhere. But have you ever been, you know, whether it's cottonwood or anything else, maybe, you know, going through your flower bed, you're weeding, you're cleaning stuff out, and you look and there's this tiny little tree that's already there in the soil. I mean, it's really easy at that point to just tear it right out, but it's literally like a little tree which can turn into a big tree. How many know it's a lot easier to take it up then than when it's like four, six, and 100 feet tall? 100 feet tall, now you're paying thousands to have this thing taken out. Whereas when it's that tender little tiny plant, this is what it's saying, springing up. It's just small. It's just tiny. Maybe we don't even notice it's there because we didn't maybe weed our flower garden. Maybe we didn't look deep enough in our heart and realize that something had planted within our heart. But at that point when it's tiny and it's small, we need to grab these things while they're in that stage and remove them from our life. This is why. It goes on to say, that bitterness begins to trouble you. This word trouble you, this phrase in the Greek means to vex, to annoy, to hound, to stalk you like a stalker. Have you ever felt this way? I've had a a few moments in my life where people have done me so wrong. I mean, it affected my finances. It affected relationships. And because I didn't deal with unforgiveness, that little tiny plant began to take root and got bigger and bigger and bigger to the place where it began to vex, annoy, and hound me. It like stalked me. I got to the point where if someone even mentioned that person's name, and they weren't even referring to that particular person, but the person had the same name, if I heard that name uttered instantly, something within me, that nauseous, that tightness, that anger, that, that idea of just oh, that person hatred, dare I say. I'm just being honest this morning. 
See, this can be a good litmus test for us. When we hear that name, when we think about the incident, what does it do? I'm not saying that it's easy to forgive. Again, forgiveness isn't a feeling. So there's times where I've forgiven people and I still didn't feel it. And sometimes later that day I had to go, I forgive that person. I forgive that situation. Dear God, help me, Holy Spirit. I forgive that person. Because the thing is, forgiveness is more about you than the person that's offended you. Because when you hold on to it, the scripture is telling us that this thing springs up. It begins to take root, and then it begins to vex, annoy, and hound you. And look, at it goes on to say, and by it, many become defiled. That phrase, become defiled, means to spot or to stain. What is a stain? Well, a stain is a permanent reminder of a past action or deed done. Have you ever been out to eat? And you're all dressed up. You're excited. Of course, guys, you know, or gals, you've, you're wearing the white shirt or the white blouse, and you go to an Italian place. That doesn't make much sense, does it? But then you spill that spaghetti sauce or that oil or garlic. Come on. You know what I'm talking about, Paul. You spill it on there, and that is a constant reminder of the miscalculation of your fork to your mouth, Right? Now, that's kind of a funny thing, and whenever someone sees it, or if you go to the bathroom and you look, oh, there it is again, you're reminded of how you messed up. But see, bitterness works the same way. It doesn't just spot or stain you. It gets to the point where you literally, you're so consumed that it pours out of your mouth. It pours out of your actions, and then in turn, you begin staining others by passing on your negative opinion of someone or something. Listen, I'm saying this because I've been there. And so it's important that we understand that whether it's Jesus or or the writers of the New Testament, they're trying to tell us something. They're trying to say, listen, get a clue. You have to pull up those roots before they get too big. You have to forgive. Even if that person doesn't say they're sorry, you have to release this. Because if not, it's like you become so bitter, it's like wearing tinted glasses, right? When you become offended, you no longer see things the way you once did. It's like you put on a new set of glasses, and now everything is seen through the eyes of that offense. That means bitterness has crept in. And see, it starts small, but it can grow deep and begin to interfere with every facet of your life. Now, I want to look at a particular story in the Gospel of Luke where the disciples are having a conversation with Jesus, as they did many times. And I want to begin to break something down for the next uh, just few minutes to see what Jesus has to say about bitterness and about unforgiveness. Let's start in Luke 17, starting with verse 3. Look what Jesus says. He says, take heed to yourselves. Now, Now let me ask you a question. Let's not get all religious and just kind of glaze over this. Imagine that you're one of the disciples and, you know, I believe the disciples followed Jesus because they thought, man, this rabbi's got something to offer. This Messiah's got something to offer. Now, maybe they had some wrong ideas of where he was going to take them, but there was a respect. And so when Jesus said, take heed to yourselves, I got a feeling they were like, well, dude, listen up. Shh, no, listen, stop arguing about being first or who's going to be last. Listen, Jesus is talking right now. Take heed to yourselves. Okay, Jesus, what you got to say? If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. In other words, have a good enough relationship that if your brother does something, you go, hey, dude, that wasn't right. And he's like, man, I'm sorry. Jesus is saying, well, then forgive him. He said he was sorry. Does that make sense? Look at this. 
And if he sins against you, Jesus doesn't just stop there. This is the thing about Jesus, right? Whether it's parables, stories, whatever it is, it's meant to throw us off kilter, off balance. And I'm sure when they heard this, they're like, okay, I guess I can forgive him. And then he says, if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. We could replace shall with will which means you have the willpower to forgive. You have the authority and the capacity to forgive. Come on, Jesus, and look at the response. Increase our faith. In other words, increase our trust. Are you sure, Jesus, that this just seems like too much? Now get this. Go back to verse 3. What are those four words in verse 3? Anyone? Class participation. Take heed to yourselves. You notice he didn't say, take heed to the offender. In fact, this phrase, take heed, in the Greek means get a grip. Jesus is saying, get a grip on yourself. Not on the neck of the person who offended you, because that's easy to do, right? He says, get a grip on yourself. Now, just a side note here, because I know some of you, maybe I can see wheels turning. We see here that Jesus is saying, if someone repents, I want you to forgive him. And we see this all through the Gospels. But Jesus, I believe, is speaking to the disciples where they are. Have you noticed this about God, that he always speaks to you where you are? Because if you've been in the church for any amount of time, we're told to forgive even if we're not apologize to. So what is Jesus doing here? He's moving his disciples slowly to a new paradigm. You see, what these good Jewish boys were used to was an eye for an eye. If someone does something to you, you get to do it back to them. And then Jesus moves it forward a little bit, not too much. How much, how many know that too much light can be too much? He moves it forward and says, listen, guys, if someone asks for forgiveness, You don't get to do the same thing back to them. You get to say, I accept your apology. You're forgiven. But then we look further into the apostles and Jesus. It goes from an eye, for an eye concept to if someone asks forgiveness and simply forgive them. And then he gets to a place where he says, forgive as I've forgiven you. And what did he do on the cross? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What did he do all through his ministry as he went city to city? Your sins are forgiven you. But I didn't ask. You don't have to. Love forgives. So I'm just saying that because I've heard people say, well, Jesus said, man, if they don't ask for forgiveness, I don't have to forgive them. No, 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 no. This is a progressive movement, a progressive change of thinking. Repent. Change your mind. Eye for an eye. If they ask, forgive them. Nope. The ultimate conclusion is you forgive because that's what love does. Is this making sense? So what was the response when Jesus said, don't just forgive someone once. If they do it seven times in a day, which we know seven is the number of perfection, right? The number of maturity. I believe what Jesus is saying is be mature enough that you forgive people no matter what happens, no matter how many times. And the response is increase our faith. Because the word forgive here in the Greek means to permanently dismiss or release. This isn't about, well, I'm going to hold you to this. 
I'm going to remind you of this. Come on, somebody. How many have done that? I forgive you. Remember when you, you didn't forgive. Permanently dismiss or release. So they ask for more faith. And look what Jesus says in verse 6. He says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, one of the tiniest seeds of all seeds. And by the way, faith is a gift. We've all been given the measure of it. So it's not you trying to get faith. It's already been given. He said, even if the faith is so tiny, it's, a, it's the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this sycamine tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Why the sycamine tree illustration? Has anyone ever asked that? Because too often, I myself have been guilty of this, I've used these verses and taken it out of context to talk about faith exclusively. So this has become a teaching on faith. you got to have faith, man. Your faith can move mountains. It can, it can pull sycamine trees up from the roots. It can throw them into the sea. Come on. I've been there. But what is Jesus talking about? What is the context here? Anyone? Forgiveness. Permanently dismissing or releasing others when offenses come. And Jesus uses this brilliant illustration. So, just so we know, Jesus is talking about forgiveness, right? If you have to do it seven times a day, you forgive. To this, the disciples say, increase our faith. Help us trust Jesus because this seems like too much. And Jesus says, even if you have itty-bitty tiny faith, you can say that this sycamine tree, this sycamine tree, word of faith, charismatic, this sycamine tree, I'll say it three times, right? What is a sycamine tree? It's bitterness. It's unforgiveness. Jesus is giving us an example here. Do you see the flow? Do you see the context? It's not about have more faith. Why? So I can move mountains and do wondrous things. No, Jesus is saying your faith can say to this bitterness, be uprooted and thrown into the sea. This was absolutely brilliant. So I just want to take the next few minutes and look at the comparisons of the sycamine tree to bitterness. Why is it important that Jesus said this? Before we do, turn to your neighbor. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, bitterness, are you sick of yours? Because I'm sick of mine. All right. Yeah, okay. Let's, let's move on. Let's move on. I am my father's son. But look at this. Comparison one. Say sycamine tree. Say bitterness. So sycamine tree, if you just look at the history of this tree and, and the, the different way it was, was structured, it had a very large and deep root structure. So it wasn't just a small root system. You know, the redwoods, are, I've shared this before, the redwood trees are huge, Right? You know, they have really shallow root systems. But instead of going down, they go out and they find other redwood trees and they wrap around each other and they help each other to stand and withstand the storms of life. Isn't that cool? But with the sycamine tree, it has a very large and very deep root structure. Why is this important? Because bitterness has a very deep root structure. See, the writer of Hebrews tells us, listen, if bitterness springs up, right, that springing up, it's just, it's tiny, it's little. That's the time to get a hold of it. Why? Because when it grows deeper and deeper and deeper, it becomes harder and harder and harder to remove that from our lives. Comparison two, 
This is interesting. The sycamine tree, it grew best where little rain was present and water was sparse. It thrived in the desert. It didn't need a lot of water. Little rain doesn't matter. You know, bitterness is the same way. Bitterness grows best where there has been no recent rain of God's life and love. When we've not had that relationship that's always been there, but opened ourselves up to benefit from this relationship to Jesus who says, I am the living water. See, think about this. Bitterness and sycamine trees can grow where there's no water present. It says this, in an environment of total forgiveness and innocence, pursuing peace with all people. That's what Hebrews says. That's what I see in this environment. We're pursuing peace. We've got the living water flowing through, giving us life. We've got the very life of the universe that connects to us. We're aware. We've awakened. We're connected. We see this. You know, in those places, it's almost impossible for bitterness to grow because you begin to see who you truly are. Does that make sense? Comparison three. This is pretty powerful. In the time of Jesus, the sycamine tree's wood was the preferred wood for building caskets. This is the wood that was used to build caskets. What's the comparison? Bitterness is a casket material, and it will bury you. Now, you may not physically die, but I'm telling you, medical science has proven to us that when you live with stress and anxiety and worry and bitterness and unforgiveness, it literally leads to physical ailments, which may lead to an early death. But here's the thing. Bitterness is a cask material. It will bury you because a lot of times it will destroy, it will kill relationships. It will kill and destroy your joy. It will destroy perfect peace in your life. So we have a choice to make, don't we? Comparison four. The sycamine tree, it produced a fig that was very bitter to eat. Now, the sycamine tree is part of the fig tree family. But this particular fig or fruit that was produced by the sycamine tree was very bitter. In fact, the poor of, of Jesus' day, they really couldn't afford the good figs. And so they would literally, because they were worthless, they would pick these figs and they would eat the fruit of the sycamine tree. But listen, it was so bitter that they had to eat it slowly and bite by bite by bite. See, the comparison here is bitterness is so bitter that you have to come back to it over and over and over again. You dwell on it for a little bit, and it's just too much, and you have to get away. But something just pulls you back, and you have to go back to it, take another little bite, and then you got to pull away, and then you got to go back to it. Come on, I've been there. Have you been there before? You try to give it up, but for some reason you go back and you take another bite. Even though it's bitter, you take another bite. You, You sit in it for a little bit longer. You fester a little more anger, a little more how could they get paid back? How can they be held accountable? You follow me? Comparison five. This is pretty, pretty wild. The sycamine tree was not naturally pollinated, but could only be pollinated by wasps. 
So literally, the pollination process was like this and only started when a wasp stuck its stinger right into the heart of the fruit. Now think about this. The tree and its fruit had to be stung in order to be reproduced. See, bitterness is the same way. Bitterness is sown in the heart or becomes pollinated in us, pollinated in us when someone has stung us. Can you see now why Jesus used the idea of the sycamine tree? He's like, this unforgiveness, which becomes bitterness, is not a good thing. Once it pollinated, someone stings us, it begins to grow. It's really small, and if we can be aware of it at that moment, ooh, okay, I just got stung. Okay, I, I see that. I see that, Holy Spirit. I need to release this. I need to pull this up in my life right now because, you know what, just like the sycamine tree, bitterness has a very deep very large root structure, and I do not want to have to get to that place in my life where I'm trying to tear something out. But even if you do, Jesus said, even just a little bit of faith, you can speak to this sycamine tree or this bitterness, and it will be uprooted and thrown into the sea. See, I believe that there's power in our words. We have authority. We must speak to those hurts. Your voice represents your authority. That's why I believe Jesus is like, if someone asks for forgiveness, with your mouth, forgive them. Say, I forgive you. There's power in forgiveness. There's power in speaking that word. You know what you're doing? It's called confession. You're agreeing with God. If we're to forgive as Jesus forgave, we saw Jesus forgiving people who weren't even asking. People who didn't even repent. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. Man, that's a powerful lesson, isn't it? doesn't mean it's easy, but all we need is just a little tiny bit of trust. That's really what I see. It's not about, all right, I'm working up my faith. What are you doing? This is my faith workup move, man. Here it goes. Here it goes. Boom. No, 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 no. Faith is trust. What I see is it's trusting God enough to say, I am going to release this. Because here's what I found in my life. The biggest reason it's hard to forgive people and let them off the hook because it's because I feel like they're going to get away with something. I want people, maybe I don't necessarily want people to pay, but I want to be accountable. I want you to be accountable for what you did. I want to hear it with your own mouth. But by the example of Jesus, he's saying, no, just forgive. Lord, increase my faith. Come on. It's not just all those disciples. No, this is me. Lord, increase my faith. There's moments where I need to increase my trust. I have to completely trust you in these moments because I do not want to release this person. I don't want to forgive them. But if we don't, then bitterness will sink in. But think about this as we bring this to a close. Why the symbolism of planting the sycamine tree in the sea? He didn't just say uproot it and you know, throw it into a garbage heap or throw it somewhere, he says, into the sea. Well, think about the, the geography of, of where Jesus was at the time. I mean, he's in Israel. So whether it be the Red Sea to the south or the Mediterranean Sea to the west, they were both salt water. How many know trees don't grow in salt water? Land trees don't grow in salt water. A sycamine tree in salt water will never grow again. It will die. So Jesus is like, if you just have just a little bit of trust, that's all I'm looking for, trust me on this, we can uproot that bitterness and we can throw it, put it into a place where it will die and you never have to deal with it again. We can walk free of bitterness 
forever. We can uproot those hurts and that bitterness and plant them in a place where they can never affect us again. Say, thank you, Jesus. And here's the thing. We need to not just forgive others, but for many of us, we need to forgive ourselves. Come on, Paul. You knew where I was going, didn't you? That's a big one. Can you forgive yourself of those repeated screw-ups? I know it's hard for me. Can you forgive yourself of those continued offenses that you're the author of? I believe sometimes it's much easier at times, depending on the situation, to forgive others than it is to forgive ourselves. But one example that I look to in Scripture is the Apostle Paul. We talked about this just a couple weeks ago. When Paul was called Saul, he was a man who hunted down and killed those who followed Jesus. He literally had believers dragged out of their homes into the streets, having them beaten and some killed in front of their families. But in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, I have wronged no man. Paul, did you forget? Paul understood forgiveness. He understood his forgiveness in Christ, and I think we should too. So many times we hold stuff against ourselves. We're like, man, I just, I messed up, and I can't forgive myself for that. Why? Now, you know, we shouldn't compare ourselves to others, but man, the Apostle Paul was guilty of so many heinous crimes, and yet he could say, I've wronged no man. What a powerful description. He didn't say that what I did doesn't matter. I think that's another thing is sometimes we think that people get away with stuff. No one gets away with anything. Stuff always comes around to bite you in the rear end, doesn't it? It just does. And so we have to give up this idea that they have to be accountable. They can't get away with that and trust Jesus. Just the faith as big as a tiny mustard seed. Just that little bit of trust to say, okay, Jesus, I trust you in this and I forgive even if repentance has not transpired. And I talked about this last week just a little bit that there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation is beautiful. That's where two people, the offender and the person offended, come together, they talk it out, offered forgiveness, give forgiveness, they're great, it's awesome. But how many know that that's not always available? Maybe the person's already passed on, maybe the relationship's completely gone, there's just no way to have that conversation. Jesus is saying, even in those situations, we still forgive whether there's repentance or not. But Jesus never asks us to do anything that he doesn't do himself. Here we are, completely and totally forgiven, past, present, and future, because Jesus said you are. Wow. So how do we get to a place where we begin to see that, and then because we've been forgiven, like we're told in the New Testament especially, forgive others as Christ has forgiven you, completely and thoroughly, and sometimes even without repentance. It doesn't mean that we don't have to work through some things. It doesn't mean that what they did was right. You follow me? But again, forgiveness is more about us than for the person who's offended us. Releasing bitterness is essential. And I want to I leave you with this important point. Forgiveness is doing yourself a favor. Releasing bitterness is doing yourself a favor. 
a favor. Amen? Will you stand with me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Scripture. We thank you so much for the life of Jesus. As I dig deeper and deeper into Scripture and the the life of Jesus, it just seems to just radically change me. It begins to change my mind. It's not always easy. Sometimes I struggle with the things that you say. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Forgive people just like I've forgiven. Sometimes with repentance, man, that is just, that's tough stuff to swallow at times. But I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you're working within the hearts of each one of us and you're helping us to see that all I have to do is have just a tiny bit of trust that what you're telling me to do, what you're showing me to do by example is the right way for me. That's what brings true healing and wholeness in my life. As we're praying right now, I'm sure as I was speaking this morning, someone popped into your head, whether it was visually or a name. And maybe there's someone this morning you're thinking, I just need to release. I just need to, to let this person go. I don't feel it, but I hear you, Pastor. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. Just pray this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your forgiveness. And this morning, I choose to be like you and to forgive even if that person hasn't apologized. I release this person. Say their name. You don't have to do it out loud. I release them to you. I forgive them. And I walk free of any bitterness. Bitterness, you're uprooted. Be thrown into the sea. In Jesus' name. Amen. What's up, Pete? You got something? Yeah, do we have, you guys give us five more minutes. We do a little powwow. Go ahead and be seated for a second. Um, I was just downstairs teaching all of our kids, you know, about this forgiveness and about the difference. Forgiveness is sometimes a hard pill to swallow. But if you bring it into the right light, I think it's easier and sometimes the context of what the church has put forgiveness in makes it hard to understand, even though pastor just broke it down. But let's break it down in the idea between the difference of forgiveness and payment. You got a story about monetary and the bank system. Would you share that with us? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's a good thing to bring up because I think a lot of times why we find it so hard to forgive is maybe we don't understand that concept. And maybe we don't understand that concept because it's it's really tough to wrap our head around if God demands payment for forgiveness of sin, which some of us have heard, right? Then 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 we want payment. Yeah. But a scripture that really stuck out to me, Pete, was the fact that it said that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Do, have you ever pictured this? I used to picture that God was somewhere out here Jesus was on the cross in between humanity and God. And God's like, I'm waiting for that payment to forgive him. Uh, and Jesus like, just give me a minute. I'm almost dead. 
I mean, I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm just saying, like, we're waiting. And Jesus is like, I paid the price. Yeah. But I got thinking about this. If you pay for something, how is it forgiveness? I'll give you an example. Let's say the bank calls you. They're like, you know that $45,000 loan you have with us? We're like, yeah, we're going to forgive that loan. And you're like, no way. You're completely forgiving it? Well, no, someone came in and paid for it, but you no longer have it. I would say, well, then you didn't forgive the debt. That's right. Someone paid it off. That's right. If the bank called me and said, you know that $45,000 debt, that loan, they call it, that debt that you owe us? Yeah, it's been completely forgiven. Who paid it off? No one. It's completely forgiven. Right. Does that change the idea here? How many if Jesus died to pay God off to yes. forgive you, it's not forgiveness. Come on. Does that make sense? Come on. True forgiveness is saying no payment required, no payment necessary, wiped clean. So if God, if we're asked to forgive like Jesus forgives, like Christ forgives, that means there's no payment involved. It means we forgive because that's what we do. Right. But how many times have we heard Jesus paid for our sins? It, it, it's this mentality that has slipped us into, you did me wrong, you're going to pay for that wrong, even if it's just a, I'm sorry. You owe me a, I'm sorry, because you need to pay for your wrong. Not even a, a really good apology or, man, I really didn't mean to do it or this was an accident or I didn't mean to say it that way or the slap just kind of happened. <laughs> wow. No. You, you're, sometimes we wait for a I'm sorry as payment. But what I was teaching the kids downstairs is that we have to be the bigger people. We have to be the bigger person. Because just as Pastor ended and said, it does us benefit to forgive. Whether there's a payment or not, we forgive. We don't wait for that payment to forgive. We forgive because Jesus says, oh man, nothing but to love them. Come on. You don't owe me a, I'm sorry. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you anyway. And that's a hard pill to swallow. That's a really tough one, isn't it? And pill. maybe that's something we need to break down maybe a little more, a little deeper, get Tom involved in that because yeah. he's an awesome scholar of, of the word yeah. as well. But just understand that God wasn't looking for you to pay something off. He freely gave himself yes. a full demonstration of love on the cross. I don't deserve this. I'm allowing you to, as Bishop Jamie says, commit deicide, to kill me. And God was in Christ, not outside Christ waiting. He was in Christ. That's what I love about the, the book and the movie, The Shack, is that God has the nail scars in the hands as well. God wasn't removed. God was in Christ. Say, in Christ. In Christ. Reconciling the world to himself. You can say that too. Isn't that awesome though? That's good, Pete. Amen. Thanks for saying that. Amen. Awesome. We love you guys. We're praying for you. Come back next week. We're going to have some good stuff for you. We're excited to share with you. But have a good week. And remember, no matter what happens, those offenses come. It doesn't mean what someone's done to you is right. But let's be quick to release and quick to forgive. Amen? Say, I'm forgiven. And I choose to forgive as Christ has forgiven me. Awesome. Have a great week. For more information about Faith City Church, 
please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.